We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 775 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Monday, March 4th, 2024, the final day of the 2024 NFL Scouting Combine at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. Uh, This is a day that marks one week until the start of the NFL's legal tempering period on Monday, March 11th at noon Eastern, which is when free agency truly begins. This is a day on which we salute longtime NFL insider Chris Mortensen, who sadly died on Sunday morning at the age of 72. Uh, Rest in peace, Mort, one of the best NFL insiders ever. I first read Chris Mortensen in the sporting news in the early 1990s. He, of course, came to gain his greatest fame working for ESPN. He is one of the goats of NFL insiders. Uh, Very sad to hear that news about Chris Mortensen. But hello and welcome to this Monday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Uh, We have a lot to talk about. Monday shows are always jam-packed shows because we have three days worth of stuff to discuss, right? Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But this Monday show is especially jam-packed. Next segment, I'll react to what was a news-filled Friday for the Commanders as they on Friday afternoon announced that they had released left tackle Charles Leno Jr. and tight end Logan Thomas. And we on Friday afternoon had multiple reports that the Commanders have informed center Nick Gates that they are going to be releasing him. And we this past Friday had resolution to the legal situation of linebacker Jamin Davis. A lot to get into with all of that. And then after that, I will talk quarterbacks at the Combine. Uh, My three biggest takeaways pertaining to our commanders of what went down with the quarterbacks at the Combine, including uh, why I now am even more firmly in the camp of liking North Carolina quarterback Drake May over LSU quarterback Jaden Daniels, and Why I am starting to sour on USC quarterback Caleb Williams. A lot of stuff with Williams. I'll get into all of that and more. There has been so much stuff 
out there over these last few days. We'll take you through what you need to know, and you will hear a lot of key audio from the Combine. Uh, also on the show, the rest of our Washington, D.C. area sports weekend. I will talk Capitals quite the weekend for them. Uh, first of all, the latest in this situation with center Evgeny Kuznetsov. The Caps on Saturday put him on waivers, but he cleared waivers, and the team on Sunday afternoon announced having loaned him to their AHL affiliate, the Hershey Bears. Uh, then we had the Caps' actual games over the weekend. Friday night, a 5-2 win over the Philadelphia Flyers at Capital One Arena in a game in which the Caps overcame a 2-0 deficit at the end of the first period. But then Sunday afternoon, a 5-2 loss to the Arizona Coyotes at Capital One Arena as the Caps got done dirty by one of the worst teams in the NHL. Oh, by the way, the 2024 NHL trade deadline is this Friday, March 8th at 3 p.m. Eastern. Uh, I will talk college basketball, a brutal weekend for Maryland, Georgetown, and Virginia. Maryland lost to Indiana 83-78 at Xfinity Center in College Park, Maryland on Sunday afternoon on the Terps Senior Day in a game in which they blew a 16-point second-half lead. Georgetown lost to Xavier 98-93 at Capital One Arena on Saturday night in a game in which the Hoyas blew a 15-point first half lead, and Virginia again got smashed in a game away from home, a 73-48 loss at number 10 Duke on Saturday evening. Virginia Tech did win, uh, a nice 87-76 win for the Hokies over Wake Forest at Castle Coliseum in Blacksburg, Virginia on Saturday evening. And I'll talk Wizards. Uh, They, of course, lost (laughs) over the weekend. They lost their 14th consecutive game, a one 40 115 loss at the Los Angeles Clippers late night on Friday night. Boy, a lot of losing in D.C. area sports right now. You can hit me up on X at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Feedback on what we learned on Wednesday morning that FedEx Field is no longer FedEx Field. Uh, turns out that FedEx, near the end of 2023, exercised an opt-out triggered by the sale of the commanders and opted out of paying naming rights for what had been known as FedEx Field. The commanders, per a statement on Wednesday morning, have, quote, started the process of identifying our next stadium naming rights partner, end quote, and the team now is calling its home stadium Commanders Field. Email from Jim D. Writes, Jim, as FedEx had a hand in the name Redskins going bye-bye, I will no longer refer to that facility in slang as FedEx. Rather, I'll say Landover. Good riddance. Uh, Thank you for the email, Jim. Well, like I just said, uh, the stadium now is being called Commander's Field. Although you could also refer to the area as Raljon. (laughs) Okay, Raljon was the original name of, say, the campus of the stadium. The Skins then owner, Jack Kent Cook, uh, got the name Raljon (laughs) by combining the names of his two sons, Ralph and John. Uh, Raljon. Raljon never really stuck uh, for whatever reasons. Uh, Email from Devin Bradley writes, Devin, could it be that FedEx doesn't want to be associated with the team going back to the name Redskins? (laughs) Probably not. 
but how great would that be? Uh, thank you for the email, Devin. Yeah, I would not hold my breath on the name of the team going back to Redskins. The Josh Harris group has made it clear that that is not happening. Uh, and I personally believe that that is because the NFL is not allowing the team to go back to being the Redskins. Not because the Harris group would not want to go back to Redskins. Never forget Managing partner Josh Harris and two of the top limited partners in the group, Mitchell Rails and Magic Johnson, they said the word Redskins countless times at that press conference at what was then FedEx Field this past July 21st, the day on which the sale of the team from Dan and Tanya Snyder to the Harris Group officially closed. Uh, If you during that press conference took a shot every time Harris, Rails, or Johnson said Redskins, you, you would have been hospitalized, okay? And if those three are so offended slash put off by the name Redskins, why did those three say that word so many times during that press conference? I have a very hard time believing that Harris, Rails, and Johnson all said the word Redskins countless times on that day simply by coincidence or happenstance. Josh Harris, Mitchell Rails, and Magic Johnson are smart people, are extremely successful business people. I think that them saying Redskins countless times was a, shall we say, testing of the waters. And I think that at some point, the NFL made it clear that going back to Redskins is not something that the league would support. And there's no way that the Harris Group could pull off something as tricky as going back to the name Redskins without the NFL support. But here's my question with FedEx. Did it get a positive or negative return on investment? A positive or negative ROI in this naming rights deal uh, for what is no longer FedEx Field. It was in November 1999 that the Skins and FedEx entered into their agreement, what was a 27-year, $205 million deal. On the one hand, yeah, so much negativity. Uh, The team was so bad for so much of the time of this deal. Uh, What was FedEx Field became known as a horrendous stadium. And we had the massive falling out between Dan Snyder and three of his then limited partners, including Fred Smith, who was the chairman, president, and chief executive officer of FedEx. He founded FedEx in 1971. Of course, it was FedEx that pulled the all-time gangster move on uh, Thursday evening, July 2nd, 2020, issuing the following short but seismic statement, quote, we have communicated to the team in Washington our request that they change the team name, end quote. So on the one hand, there was all of that. And the fact that FedEx opted out of the naming rights deal would seem to suggest that the ROI was negative. But at the same time, think about how many times the name FedEx was said and written and shown on television over the life of this naming rights deal. Like millions of times, right? We've all said it so many times, right? FedEx Field, FedEx Field, FedEx Field. Couldn't it be that just that brand exposure, that constant saying and writing and showing of the name made the naming rights deal worth it? Uh, I don't know. Uh, If any of you are in marketing or are in business, I'd be curious about your thoughts to whatever extent that we can calculate the ROI for FedEx in the naming rights deal for the now former FedEx field. Uh, Was the ROI positive or negative? Uh, Well, here's something that most certainly is positive. The great law firm 
of Paulson and Nace. Founded in 1979, Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm dedicated to promoting the rights of seriously injured persons and their families. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. If you have been harmed by the negligence of someone else, if someone who you care about has been harmed by the negligence of someone else, call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace is widely respected throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia for the firm's accomplishments both in and out of courtrooms. In fact, Paulson and Nace was just named as part of U.S. News and World Report's Best Law Firms 2024 edition. And Chris Nace and Matt Nace specifically are dedicated and decorated trial attorneys. Uh, Chris Nace last May was named the 2023 Barry J. Nace Trial Lawyer of the Year. This by the D.C. Trial Lawyers Association. Chris this past July was elected as the Parliamentarian of the American Association for Justice. And both Chris and Matt Nace this past August were recognized by Best Lawyers in America for 2024. Why the accolades? Well, Paulson and Nace fights for you. Paulson and Nace does not accept low settlement offers that benefit the people who caused clients harm more than the offers benefit the clients. This is because Paulson and Nace is not afraid to take a case to trial, and that's because Paulson and Nace wins trials. Paulson and Nace has secured millions of dollars in verdict and settlement amounts for clients to better enable them to care for themselves and their families. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. Just make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Hey, a thank you to all of you who have given this podcast a five-star rating and who have written nice reviews of the podcast. You on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated, and you on Apple Podcasts can write a review saying that you like the podcast. The review does not have to be long. can be just a sentence or two, but the ratings and the reviews help us out a lot, so thank you very much for doing them. Uh, this episode of the podcast is for Monday, March 4th. One week away are we from the start of free agency this NFL offseason. The legal tempering period begins on Monday, March 11th at 12 p.m. Eastern. The legal tempering period is when NFL teams can contact and conduct contract negotiations with certified agents of external players who will become unrestricted free agents upon the start of the new league year. And then the new league year begins on Wednesday, March 13th at 4 p.m. Eastern. The new league year is when signings of external free agents can become official and when trades can become official. Uh, The commanders entered this past Friday set to have the fourth 
most salary cap space in the NFL for the upcoming new league year. $77.9 million per overthecap.com. The Commanders now are set to have the second most salary cap space in the NFL for the upcoming new league year. 91.54 million dollars per overthecap.com. And that does not include another move that is coming. Uh, the Commanders this past Friday afternoon announced that they had released two players, left tackle Charles Leno Jr. and tight end Logan Thomas. And we this past Friday afternoon had multiple reports that the Commanders have informed center Nick Gates that they are going to release him. So Leno and Thomas are gone and Gates is about to be gone. The purge of the roster by new general manager Adam Peters has begun. Leno being released was not a shocker, but was surprising in that the team does not have an obvious replacement for him. And you can make a strong case that he was the team's second best offensive lineman Last season, uh, that case was made on this past Friday show, episode 774 by Commanders analyst Mark Bullock. Uh, right guard Samuel Cosme clearly was the Commanders best offensive lineman last season, but Charles Leno Jr. may well have been number two. Uh, but the Commanders releasing Leno did come to make a lot more sense, as also on Friday afternoon were multiple reports that Leno was to undergo hip surgery this week. So he's facing recovery from a significant surgery. And Leno's wife, Jen Leno, she in a post on X on Friday afternoon indicated that Charles is retiring, uh, saying that he had, quote, officially accepted a new role as a stay-at-home dad, end quote. So the commander's releasing Leno makes a lot more sense. I'll say this about Charles Leno Jr. I know (laughs) that he took a lot of criticism from commander's fans, and he certainly was not some elite left tackle. But Washington's signing of Leno was a low-cost signing that worked out quite well. Uh, Washington on May 15th, 2021, officially announced the signing of Leno as an unrestricted free agent off him having been released by the Chicago Bears on May 3rd, 2021. Leno ended up being Washington starting left tackle for three seasons, the 2021 through 2023 seasons. Uh, He and his first season with the team, the 2021 season, was a major part of an offensive line that was terrific. Washington finished the 2021 regular season number nine in the NFL in team pass block win rate per ESPN and number one in the NFL in team run block win rate per ESPN. In fact, Washington on January 7th, 2022, announced the signing of Leno to a three-year contract extension. Uh, Now, his performance diminished over these last two seasons, but Leno, over his three regular seasons with Washington, played in and started 47 of a possible 51 games, including all 34 games over the 2021 and 2022 regular seasons. He, in the 2023 regular season, did not play in four games. He did not play in the 24-16 win at the Atlanta Falcons this past October 15th, as the commanders just about two hours before kickoff for that game announced that Leno had been downgraded to out for the game due to a personal reason, which turned out to be the death of a daughter who was born the previous night. Very sad. Uh, Leno came into that game having played in every regular season game for his teams since the start of the 2015 season. And then Leno did not play in each of the commander's final three games of the 2023 regular season due to a calf injury. But Charles Leno Jr. is a great story. The Bears took Leno in the seventh round 
of the 2014 NFL Draft at a Boise State. Leno over his final six seasons for the Bears, the 2015 through 2020 seasons, played in all 96 of the team's regular season games. See, for the last 93 of those games, was the Bears starting left tackle. So if he is retiring, a happy retirement to Charles Leno Jr. But I want to make this clear. It is time for our team to get back to being great at left tackle. Our team has a rich history of high-level play at left tackle, right? You think about Joe Jacoby and Jim Lachey and Chris Samuel and Trent Williams. It's time to get back to that. Uh, Easier said than done, okay? I get that. But the approach for the team at left tackle since Trent's ugly holdout for the 2019 season has been these patchwork solutions. Donald Penn, Cornelius Lucas, Charles Leno Jr. And Lucas and Leno especially have done some good stuff, but a goal for Adam Peters has to be finding a long-term solution at left tackle. Uh, Logan Thomas, he liked Charles Leno Jr., and on the cheap free agent acquisition that worked out for Washington. Uh, The Redskins initially signed Logan in March 2020 as an unrestricted free agent to a two-year $6.145 million contract. Uh, Logan, in the 2020 regular season, played in all 16 of Washington's games and had 72 receptions for 670 yards and six touchdowns on 110 targets. He became just the third tight end in franchise history to have a regular season in which he had at least 70 receptions, at least 650 receiving yards, and at least five receiving touchdowns. Uh, Joining Jordan Reed in the 2015 season and Chris Cooley in the 2005 season, uh, Washington on July 28th, 2021, announced the signing of Logan Thomas to a three-year contract extension. But Logan, over his final three regular seasons with Washington, struggled with injury and ineffectiveness. Uh, Logan, in the 2021 regular season, played in just six of Washington's 17 games. He was on the reserve injured list from October 6, 2021 to November 19th, 2021 due to a hamstring injury. And then he in just his second game back, a 17-15 win at the Las Vegas Raiders on December 5th, 2021, suffered a season-ending torn left ACL, MCL, and meniscus. Uh, Logan in the 2022 regular season played in 14 of the Commanders' 17 games. He missed three games in October 2022 due to a calf injury. And Logan, for the 2022 regular season, uh, was not productive. He finished 109th out of 110 NFL tight ends in DYAR, which stands for Defense Adjusted Yards Above Replacement, is similar to Wins Above Replacement War in baseball. Yeah, 109th out of 110 NFL tight ends. And Logan, in the 2023 regular season, played in 16 of the Commanders' 17 games. He did not play in the oh-so-wonderful 37-3 loss to the Buffalo Bills at FedEx Field this past September 24th due to a concussion. Uh, Logan, for the 2023 regular season, had a DYAR of zero, meaning that he was league average. But releasing Logan Thomas was an obvious move. This generated a good bit of cap space. And the truth about Logan is that his 2020 season was his only truly good season as a tight end. Uh, Logan came to Washington having in his career as a tight end totaled just 
35 receptions on 54 regular season targets. He was taken as a quarterback by the Arizona Cardinals in the fourth round of the 2014 draft out of Virginia Tech. He spent time with the Cardinals, Miami Dolphins, and New York Giants from 2014 to 2016 before making the switch to tight end and signing with the Detroit Lions a practice squad in November 2016. And then Nick Gates is a guy who just did not work out for the Commanders. Uh, Gates was an acquisition from the final offseason for Ron Rivera as Washington head coach. A 2023 offseason that, as things stand right now, was hideous given the free agent class and draft class. Uh, The Commanders on March 16th, 2023, officially announced the signing of Gates as an unrestricted free agent. Gates in the 2023 regular season played in 13 of the Commanders' 17 games, including 10 starts, but he was replaced as the team's starting center after the 14-7 loss at the Giants this past October 22nd. His struggles with the Commanders' protection calls played a role in Sam Howell being sacked six times in that game and being sacked 40 times over the team's first seven games of the 2023 regular season. Sam's sack rate got a lot better after Gates was benched. That's not to absolve Sam for the sacks, but things with Gates were not working. Uh, And it's especially telling that the commanders are releasing Gates given who their new offensive line coach is. Bobby Johnson, who spent the past two seasons as the Giants' offensive line coach. The Giants signed Gates as an undrafted free agent out of Nebraska in May 2018. He was with the Giants for the 2018 through 2022 seasons. So Johnson coached Gates with the Giants, and yet still, the Commanders are releasing Gates. There was something else from our Commanders Friday that I did want to mention resolution to the legal situation of linebacker Jamin Davis, uh, a.k.a. Jamin Earnhardt Jr. (laughs) Uh, Jamin, on March 28, 2022, was charged with the offense of reckless driving by speed. This for going 114 miles per hour in a 45-mile-per-hour zone in Loudoun County, Virginia. Uh, Jamin, on May 26, 2022, was convicted of reckless driving and sentenced to 30 days in jail, but he appealed the conviction, and the matter was transferred from the General District Court to the Circuit Court for Loudoun County for a jury trial, which was to begin on this Monday, March 4th. But Jamin, this past Friday in Loudoun County Circuit Court, entered a guilty plea. He was sentenced to 180 days jail time with all of it suspended. So no actual jail time. Uh, His license was suspended for six months. He was sentenced to community service and he was fined $2,500 plus $176 in court costs. Uh, All things considered, not bad for Jamin Davis. But there are a few additional things to note here. First of all, a suspension from the NFL for violating its personal conduct policy could be coming. Second of all, Jamin needs to check himself. As the great Ice Cube said many years ago, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Uh, Coming out in this legal saga of Jamin has been that he also was charged with reckless driving in December 2021. And there is his alleged role in the DeShazer Everett Olivia Peters tragedy. Uh, December 23rd, 2021, then Washington safety DeShazer Everett was the driver in a fatal one-car crash in Loudoun County, Virginia, that killed the vehicle's passenger, 29-year-old Olivia Peters. Uh, DeShazer, on February 8th, 
2022, was charged with involuntary manslaughter. DeShazer, on July 19, 2022, pleaded guilty to a lesser charge of reckless driving. But remember this about what happened with DeShazer Everett. Jamin Davis and corner Benjamin St. Juice reportedly spoke to police and said that they were in a car behind DeShazer's car on the night of the fatal accident. This after having gone out to dinner with DeShazer. However, the mom of Olivia Peters, Kathleen Peters, she this past December 22nd in Loudoun County Circuit Court filed a $25 million wrongful death lawsuit against DeShazer, Jamin, Benjamin, and one other person claiming that the accident that killed Olivia Peters was a function of DeShazer, Jamin, and Benjamin racing their cars. Is that true? I don't know. But I do know this. When Washington took Jamin Davis with the number 19 overall pick in the 2021 draft, one of the selling points was his, wait for it, character. He comes from a military family, as both of his parents are army veterans. Uh, Jamin had a mantra that he espoused, you can't have a million-dollar dream with a minimum wage work ethic. Oh, Jamin Davis sounded like such a swell guy. Well, here we are now, three seasons into his NFL career, multiple reckless driving charges, and he may have played a significant role in the death of Olivia Peters. So much for that character. And then there's the performance on the field, right? Jamin Davis over his first three NFL seasons has been mid at best. He has talent, he has flashed, but he has not been anything close to some consistently great linebacker. Pro football focus grades are on a scale of 0 to 100. Here are Jamin's overall grades per PFF for each of his three NFL regular seasons. 2021, just 46.8. 2022, 62.9. 2023, 67.6. He has gotten better, but like I said, he overall has been mid at best. The commanders this offseason have to decide on whether to exercise the fifth-year option in Jamin's rookie contract. I would be surprised if they did exercise that option. And I ask you this, what exactly has he done to earn the exercising of that option? Well, here's something that you, as a listener of this podcast, have earned a great offer from Nova fireplace and stove. If you live in Northern Virginia and you have a masonry fireplace, listen up. You can get an in-stock wood insert at an extremely discounted price, just $6,000 plus tax. The usual price is $9,000 plus tax. So this is a 33% discount and the $6,000 plus tax includes installation, permit, and county slash city inspection. And you can get a government funded tax credit as well, up to $2,000, dropping the price to just $4,000, all things considered. If you live in Northern Virginia and you have a masonry fireplace, call Nova Fireplace and Stove, 571-513-3803. Talk to my guy, Stuart Moore. He is the general manager. He's a big Commanders fan. He's a loyal listener of this podcast. Mention that Al Galdi sent you and get this exceptional deal on an in-stock wood insert. Again, 
33% off. A site visit is required, but this is an outstanding deal. A standard masonry fireplace is only about 10% efficient, but a wood insert is over 70% efficient. A wood insert installed into a masonry fireplace elongates the burn time of your logs. Uh, this is a great way to heat your home and save money on heating your home. Visit NovaFireplaceAntStove.com to check out customer reviews of Nova Fireplace and Stove, but call Nova Fireplace and Stove 571-513-3803 and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. That's Nova Fireplace and Stove 571-513-3803 and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Well, the 2024 NFL Scouting Combine at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis is ending on Monday. We, this past Friday and Saturday, had the peak of this year's Combine for us as Commanders fans, given that our team has the number two overall pick in the 2024 NFL Draft. And that peak was the work of... The quarterbacks. Uh, we on Friday had the quarterbacks at the Combine doing press conferences. We on Saturday had quarterbacks at the Combine being measured and doing on-field workouts, although not all of the quarterbacks were measured, and many of the perceived top quarterbacks in the 2024 draft did not do on-field workouts. I have three takeaways regarding our quarterback needy commanders of what went down with the quarterbacks at the Combine. Takeaway number one. I now am even more firmly entrenched on liking North Carolina quarterback Drake May over LSU quarterback Jaden Daniels. If, in fact, the commanders at two are deciding between May and Daniels, I'm now even more in the camp of wanting May. Now, <laughs> two caveats to this. Uh, a, I reserve the right to change my stance uh, because I do like a good bit about Jaden Daniels. And B, we don't know what NFL teams know or at least are trying to know about Drake May and Jaden Daniels as people, how they are in terms of football IQ, how much May and Daniels love football, how they are as teammates, etc. That stuff matters a lot. And so it's hard to have like supreme confidence in your opinions on these quarterbacks without knowing them as people. But when it comes to these guys as people, there is a lot of positive buzz for Drake May. And there's not necessarily negative buzz for Jaden Daniels, but there is a lot of positive buzz for Drake May. NFL insider Ian Rappaport of NFL Network and NFL.com, he in a post on X on Friday evening wrote, quote, UNC QB Drake May has impressed in his interviews, end quote. Uh, May certainly came off well in his press conference on Friday morning. This was May on Friday morning on his meeting with the commanders. Yeah, with Washington, I think they were first, you know, Coach Quinn, um, you know, he's great, you know, he kind of clicked right off the bat. Um, he's a great, you know, great guy and, um, you know, great coach shooting stuff he's done defensively with the Cowboys over the past year has been pretty special. Um, so meeting in there and, um, you know, Coach um, you know, Coach, Pritchard, coach uh, recruited me in high school from Stanford, so got to know him a little bit. And uh, you know, Coach Kingsbury knows, you know, my office winner from college, so got a lot of connections. 
Yes, you do. Uh, Drake May has done a variety of media interviews in recent days. I've watched a good bit of those interviews. I'm sure that many of you have as well. Uh, he has come off well in all of these interviews. Smart, mature, self-aware. Uh, here was a conversation that he had with NFL insider Tom Pelissero of NFL Network and NFL.com on NFL Network on Friday. I've heard from teams you brought a lot of energy to the interview process. Just tell me about going through all this. Yeah, that was my approach. I think the biggest thing is just being myself. You know, I'm trying to be somebody I'm not. Just going there um, with confidence in myself and confidence in you know what I do on the board and you know in the film and in my tape. And uh, from there, just show what I'm bat and show them, you know competitor and uh, you know willing to go in there and, and compete. Sounds like you're not going to be throwing here in Indianapolis. Just take me through the thought process on that in the coming weeks here. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me is get here and get in front of the teams and you know, let them know I'm about. I think you got a you know, got a big script for pro days. Quarterbacks pro days is real intense now. You got about sixty something throws and you're in there for you know about 34, 45 minutes to an hour. I'm throwing with the guys. So I'm ready to showcase them. Um, you know what I can do on the field and kind of, kind of meet these teams and get to get in front of them here. Don't know how much you're digging through mock drafts at this time of year, but there's plenty. Having you go to Washington at two, to New England at three. Where do you want to be? Yeah, I'm ready to go wherever i think you know it's, it's easy to kind of you know get you into something where you say when you want to go but uh ready to go compete wherever and ready to go you know great fan bases all across the nfl so i think all these fan bases are um you know something that i'm, I'm looking forward and catering to we're talking about drafting a quarterback these are big time organizational decisions so give me your best sales pitch why you should be somebody's franchise qb yeah i think i can do it all i think one of the things where you know i really can make a play with my feet make a play throw in the pocket um and you really just you don't want a game plan you know for me you want a game plan with me so that's the biggest thing good luck Jerry. thanks appreciate y'all thank y'all <laughs> Great line from Drake May, quote, you don't want a game plan for me, you want to game plan with me, end quote. Uh, now, does May coming off as smart and mature and self-aware guarantee that he'll be a good NFL quarterback? Absolutely not. Uh, and you could argue that that line of, quote, you don't want to game plan for me, you want to game plan with me, end quote, is cocky. Although he was asked to give his best sales pitch to be a team's franchise quarterback. So the question by its nature prompted a cocky response. Uh, look, indications very much are that Drake May seems to have the makeup of a good NFL quarterback. And the commanders seem to be noticing. How about this from NFL insider Jeff Howe of The Athletic in a piece that came out on Saturday afternoon. Quote, there's belief by rival team executives the Washington commanders are high on May and that he should remain the favorite as the second pick. End quote. Uh, Drake May on Saturday had the following measurements. Height 6'4 and 3 eighths of an inch. A very good height for a quarterback. Weight 223 pounds, hand size 9 and 1/8 inches. Jaden Daniels, very interestingly, declined to be measured at the combine. We're not sure why. I would guess that maybe he was sensitive about not weighing enough and wants to bulk up. A concern with Daniels is him being thin. Uh, he is going to be measured at LSU's Pro Day on March 27th. Uh, here's where I'm at with Jaden Daniels. A lot to like. And he doesn't have the inconsistency, the easy misses that Drake May too often had. But there are three things that worry me about Jaden Daniels. The first thing is that he can be reckless as a runner. Uh, his extreme mobility is both a blessing and a curse. The guy can be sensational as a runner, but he in college did not do a good enough job of avoiding contact. And that approach combined with a thin frame could get him injured quite a bit 
in the NFL. And what our team does not need is to spend another number two overall pick on a quarterback who is oft injured. Uh, See Robert Griffin III. Second thing that worries me about Jaden Daniels is that he had just one high-level season in college this past season. Uh, Daniels was Arizona State's QB1 for the 2019 through 2021 seasons and was LSU's QB1 for the 2022 and 2023 seasons. Daniels, over his first four collegiate seasons, 2019 through 2022, played in 43 games, had 49 touchdown passes versus 16 interceptions, a yards per pass attempt of 8.04, and a completion percentage of 64.5. Daniels, in his super senior season of 2023, played in 12 games and had 40 touchdown passes versus four interceptions, a yards per pass attempt of 11.66, and a completion percentage of 72.2. Daniels this season was outstanding. Daniels for the 2023 season won the Heisman Trophy. Was his 2023 season a breakout, i.e. who he now is, or was his 2023 season an outlier, i.e. what he'll never again be? It's tricky with quarterbacks who in college are for a while at a less than great level and then erupt in their final seasons. Uh, Joe Burrow had a similar collegiate career to Jaden Daniels' career, and Burrow's outstanding 2019 season for LSU proved to be a breakout. He's been a very good NFL quarterback, but Kenny Pickett also had a similar collegiate career, and his outstanding 2021 season for Pitt may well have been an outlier. Uh, Pickett has not done so well for the Pittsburgh Steelers over two seasons. And then a third thing that worries me about Jaden Daniels is his penchant for taking sacks. One of the more telling and predictive stats for a quarterback regarding him taking sacks is pro football focuses a pressure to sack rate, which is the percentage of a quarterback's pressured dropbacks that result in sacks. With pressure to sack rate, the lower the number, the better. Fantasy football writer Zachary Kruger of Roto World Football in a post on X this past Thursday morning noted that Daniels had the seventh worst career pressure to sack rate out of 116 quarterback prospects from the 2015 through 2023 college football season. So quarterback prospects for the 2016 through 2024 NFL drafts. Daniels' career pressure to sack rate 24 For comparison's sake, the career pressure to sack rate of the commanders Sam Howell in his collegiate career, 26.7. Daniels, 24.5. Sam, 26.7. So Jaden Daniels, who we already have to worry about getting injured while running, also takes a lot of sacks. That is a dangerous combination. Uh, This was Daniels on Friday morning on his meeting with the Commanders. With them, it was just how cool uh, the whole staff was. Obviously, uh, Dan Quinn, uh, Cliff Kingsbury, all those type of guys. I was to be able to sit in there and really just get to know people. Uh, you know, you, you can see them on TV, see everybody coaching uh, behind the scenes. So be able to go on there and just have a, a conversation with them. That's the coolest part for me. Again, I like a lot about Jaden Daniels, but these three things that I just talked about are concerning to me. So right now, I want the commanders taking Drake May and not Jaden Daniels with the number two overall pick in the 2024 draft. If, in fact, the decision is about May 
versus Daniels. Uh, by the way, I mentioned Sam Howell, who, of course, was succeeded by Drake May as UNC's QB1 and who is good friends with Drake. Uh, this was Drake on Friday morning on his relationship with Sam. Oh, it's awesome. Um, Sam, you know, I played little league ball with Sam when I was, you know, in first grade, sixth grade playing tackle football. Sam was the quarterback and I was playing uh, probably on the sideline clapping for him. Um, you know, but it's, it's really a small world from Charlotte. So many guys, you know, Daniel Jones and, um, you know, Sam Howell, all these guys, you know, really, I don't think people give enough credit to Charlotte. Great area of football and uh, just North Carolina, I think it's a little bit slept on. We, on last Tuesday's show, episode 771, got an in-depth breakdown of Drake May from North Carolina football radio analyst, former UNC and former NFL linebacker and former NFL scout Brian Simmons. Uh, He did say that the commanders having both Drake May and Sam Howell on the team would be awkward, although Simmons also said that Drake and Sam would make the situation work. Uh, This was Drake May on Friday morning on it being on the same NFL team as Sam Howell is on would be awkward. Yeah, one of my best friends, um, you know, Sam is, uh, shoot, has been a mentor to me in college, and uh, it's one of those things where um, there's a lot of bigger problems out there in the world than you know being with one of your best friends in the quarterback room. So I think, um, you know, it's not it's not awkward for us, and it's just a just business. Very good answer there by Drake May. Uh, hey, if you are a Commanders fan, make sure that you're on bgobsession.com. You can placate your burgundy and gold obsession at bgobsession.com. BG Obsession, or BGO, has been the home of the most knowledgeable, friendly, and passionate Washington fans on the web since 2009. BGO is a special place at which you can join your fellow fans for some smart football discussion, great contests, game day chats, and even lifelong friendships. So what are you waiting for? Visit and join BGO at bgobsession.com, home to your burgundy and gold obsession. A second takeaway regarding the commanders of what went down with the quarterbacks at the Combine. There now officially is too much stuff with USC quarterback Caleb Williams to not be concerned about what an NFL team is getting with him. Now, the Caleb conversation for the commanders seems to be becoming increasingly moot because it more and more is feeling like the Chicago Bears are going to trade quarterback Justin Fields and are not going to trade that number one overall pick in the 2024 draft and are going to take Caleb Williams with that pick. But Of course, we don't know until we know, and Caleb Williams could always pull a power play and making it clear that he doesn't want to play for the Bears. I like Caleb Williams the best out of the quarterbacks in the 2024 draft in terms of ability and what he could be as an NFL quarterback. There is so much to like about this guy in terms of ability and what he could be as an NFL quarterback. And to whatever extent his size has been a concern, uh, Williams on Saturday at the Combine registered the following measurements, height 6'1 and 1 8 of an inch, weight 214 pounds, hand size 9 and 3 quarters inches. So his hand is bigger than Drake May's despite uh, Caleb Williams being more than 3 inches shorter than Drake May is. But I'm also not a fan of all of this stuff with Caleb Williams. There are a lot of little things with this guy. And while each thing in and of itself is not that big of a deal, all of these things combined may be 
a big deal. Let's go through these things. So we have the painting of the nails. Uh, Caleb Williams is known for painting his nails. He multiple times has talked about doing this as part of his connection with his mom, who paints nails for a living. I'm not mad, Adam, for painting his nails. If he's into that, fine. But it is what he has painted on his nails that has been off-putting. Williams, during the 2022 season, had messages on his uh, painted nails that essentially were F the opposing team, F Notre Dame, F UCLA, F Utah. Uh, Now, is that the end of the world? No, but, you know, that kind of thing is classless and unnecessary. Uh, Caleb Williams cried in his mom's arms after then number 20 USC's 52-42 home loss to then number 5 Washington this past November 4th. Uh, It was hard to know what to make of that. Was that a sign of immaturity or more just a manifestation of how much he wants to win? But we can say this, a QB1 crying in his mom's arms after a loss is not common. That is not a sight that you see often. Uh, Caleb Williams is going into the 2024 NFL draft without an agent. Uh, Now, not having an agent is not unprecedented. Baltimore Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson does not have an agent. Uh, A quarterback for the Commanders during the 2023 season, Jacoby Brissett, doesn't have an agent. But how about what has come out about Caleb Williams not having an agent? Senior NFL writer Kaylin Kaler of The Athletic, she this past Wednesday, February 28th, came out with a piece in which she said that Caleb's dad, Carl Williams, who plays a big role in Caleb's camp, has wanted a potential agent for his son to challenge the collective bargaining agreement between the NFL and the NFL Players Association as he has, quote, challenged several potential representatives to find loopholes in the collective bargaining agreement between the league and players union. But the answers he received were unsatisfying. None could show him a way out of the four-year rookie contract term and fifth-year option for first-round picks. And when you considered the three potential years of franchise tagging, Caleb could be tied to a below-market deal for eight years. Why hire an agent when there's nothing that can be done to subvert the system? Carl was wary, and some agents were equally wary of him thinking most of his ideas were unrealistic and some foolish, end quote. (laughs) So Caleb Williams' pops, Carl Williams, wants to challenge the CBA. And there's this. Carl apparently wants Caleb to have partial ownership of whichever NFL team drafts him. Because also from Kaler in that report was that Coral had, in fact, broached the subject of Caleb receiving partial ownership of whichever NFL team drafted him. Quote, two sources told The Athletic that Williams Camp did, in fact, discuss the topic with agents who was talking Caleb's dad, Coral Williams. End quote. <laughs> The notion of Caleb Williams vying for partial ownership of whichever NFL team drafts him has been out there. In fact, there's a belief that that is why NFL owners last July reportedly voted to prohibit, quote, non-family employees from taking equity in teams, end quote. And shortly thereafter, Pro Football Talk explained the timing of that vote, reporting that representatives of Caleb Williams had broached the topic, as had New York Jets quarterback 
Aaron Rodgers, but at least Aaron Rodgers is a future Pro Football Hall of Famer. Caleb Williams has not taken a single snap in the NFL, and yet his dad is angling for Caleb to receive partial ownership of whichever NFL team drafts him. Uh, okay. I earlier mentioned RG3. Do you remember his dad, RG2, and the problem that he became? What if Carl Williams is another RG2? And there's more. We on Friday learned that Caleb Williams had decided to not undergo any medical exams at the Combine and had decided to not sign off on having his medical record shared with all 32 NFL teams. NFL insider Jonathan Jones of CBS Sports in a report on Friday morning, quote, one league source believes Williams is the first Combine invitee to attend the event after declining the medical exams, which are typically considered to be one of the most essential elements of the Combine End quote. Uh, This was Caleb Williams on Friday morning on why he decided to not undergo any medical exams at the Combine and why he decided to not sign off on having his medical record shared with all 32 NFL teams. Yeah, so for the medical stuff, I'll be doing the medical stuff, just not here in Indy. I'll be doing it at the team interviews. Um, You know, not 32 teams can draft me. Uh, There's only one of me. Um, And so uh, the teams that I go to for my visit, um, you know, those teams will have the the medical and, and, and that'll be it. All right, look, there is an argument to be made that Caleb Williams knows that he's going to be among the, say, top two or top three picks in the 2024 draft, most likely the first pick. And so why should he allow all 32 NFL teams to have access to his medical information? But him deciding to not undergo any medical exams at the Combine and deciding to not sign off on having his medical records shared with all 32 NFL teams are Two more bricks in the wall of him behaving in a way that could be interpreted in a negative way. Like I said, there is a lot of stuff with Caleb Williams. Now, plenty of people do say good things about Caleb Williams, who, of course, is a local. He went to Gonzaga College High School in Washington, D.C. Heck, Peter Schrager of the NFL Network show, Good Morning Football. Uh, He, in a post on X on Saturday evening, wrote this, quote, last player to leave the field Saturday night after the drills, Caleb Williams hung and said goodbye to all the folks who ran the drills and worked the event, end quote. That was cool. And we do have to keep this in mind. Caleb Williams is arguably the first truly big-time quarterback from the NIL era of college football, the nil era of college football. The belief is that Williams over his two seasons at USC made around $10 million. So he's not coming into the NFL as this wide-eyed, aw shucks person who is yet to make major money in his life. But still, for the purposes of our team, the commanders, you tell me, would you feel great about them trading who knows how many picks to move up from the number two overall pick in the 2024 draft to the number one overall pick in the 2024 draft to take Caleb Williams, given all of this stuff? This was Williams on Friday morning on meeting with the commanders at the Combine. Like I've said before, it's familiar. It's 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 hometown, um, as everybody knows. And um you know, it'd be, it'd be really cool to, to be back there and, and, and experience that. Um, the, the meeting went really well. 
um, and, and um, you know, being around those, you know, everybody was in the room. So being around everybody, um, you know, just getting getting a taste of, you know, how they are, who they are, because like you said, everything's new there. All right. And then a third takeaway regarding the commanders of what went down with the quarterbacks at the Combine. Michigan quarterback J.J. McCarthy remains intriguing. Uh, We got a really good breakdown of McCarthy on this past Friday's show, episode 774 from Commanders analyst Mark Bullock. There's a lot to like. Uh, The idea of our team having the cake and eating it too uh, is quite appealing. What if the commanders in the first round of the 2024 draft traded down, got more draft capital, and still got a franchise quarterback via taking McCarthy. Uh, McCarthy on Saturday had the following measurements, height 6'2 and half of an inch, weight 219 pounds, hand size 9 inches. Here was Ian Rappaport on NFL Network on Saturday on J.J. McCarthy. J.J. McCarthy, the national championship winning quarterback at the University of Michigan. You guys have been talking about it. He did not do either of the jumps, broad or vertical, due to hamstring tightness, but is letting it fly today. And I think it's fair to say he is one of the more intriguing quarterbacks in this draft. He is talented. He is a good athlete. We just didn't see all of it in college. And GMs are really intrigued about how much he can actually do. You know, guys, Schrager mentioned it. It seems clear now we have a top three of quarterbacks. There is a real chance that some teams consider him to be the third and consider him to be closer to the top three than maybe we realized a good performance here behind me today potentially solidifies that. Yeah, there is buzz for J.J. McCarthy. How real is it? Hard to say. We know that this is lying season in the NFL, but we also know that given the hit rate for first-round quarterbacks, at least one of the perceived top three quarterbacks in the 2024 draft, Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jaden Daniels, will not work out. Maybe even more than one will not work out. And if you go by what almost always happens in NFL drafts, the best quarterbacks from the draft will not be in the order in which they were drafted. So there is a good chance that a quarterback other than Williams, May, and Daniels will be better than one or more of those guys. Could slash will J.J. McCarthy be that quarterback? Uh, This was McCarthy on Friday morning on his meeting with the commanders. It was my first one, so I was like super nervous, I'm not going to lie, and uh, sweating a little bit. And, you know, Coach Quinn was just awesome. I got to talk to uh, Mr. Peters right before the meeting, and, you know, just a great vibe, very welcoming, and, you know, going through the clips and everything. And Coach Cliff Kingsbury was just like, hey, if you get a matchup out here and you really like it, could you just, you know, switch it to go on the outside? And I was telling him, like, I wish. Just little stuff like that. And, uh, you know, it was just great to meet them. Great to, you know, talk ball with them. And I had a lot of fun doing it. Well, you think about our commander's GM, Adam Peters. He has San Francisco 49ers assistant general manager played a big time role in making one of the best draft picks in recent NFL history. Quarterback Brock Purdy with the very last pick in the 2022 draft. I could see Peters seeing some Purdy in J.J. McCarthy. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, this is a big week for the Capitals. This Friday, March 8th at 3 p.m. Eastern is the 2024 NHL trade deadline. There would seem to be no chance that the Caps will be buyers regarding the deadline. The Caps better not (laughs) be buyers regarding the deadline. The question is, to what extent will the Caps be sellers regarding the deadline? The Caps have been such an odd team this season in the midst of their retool. Not rebuild, retool. Uh, They have been good enough to be in playoff contention, but they have been bad enough to make you think that they need to blow themselves up and enter into a full rebuild. And what went down with the Caps in their actual games this past weekend only added to this confusion. But before we get to that, Caps center Evgeny Kuznetsov, quite the twist in his saga. It was on February 5th that the NHL and the NHL Players Association announced that Kuznetsov, who is having yet another disappointing season, would be unavailable for the Caps for an indefinite period. This while he receives care from the player assistance program of the NHL and NHLPA. What exactly is Kuznetsov's problem is unclear, but the player assistance program is designed to help NHL players deal with substance abuse problems and mental health problems. Kuznetsov, as you likely know, had the cocaine issue in 2019. He served a three-game suspension without pay at the start of the 2019-2020 regular season for, quote, inappropriate conduct, end quote. Uh, That inappropriate conduct was cocaine use. The International Ice Hockey Federation in August 2019 suspended Kuznetsov for four years for testing positive for cocaine off a test that was taken in May 2019 at the 2019 IIHF World Championship in Slovakia, where Kuzi was playing for Russia. Anyway, the NHL and NHLPA this past Saturday morning announced that Kuznetsov had been cleared to resume practicing with the Caps and had entered the follow-up care phase of the player assistance program, although he had not yet been cleared to return to game action. But then came a stunner. The Caps on Saturday put Kuznetsov on waivers. Caps president of hockey operations and general manager Brian McClellan in a press conference on Saturday afternoon said that a fresh start was needed, uh, but also that the Caps would assign Kuznetsov to their AHL affiliate, the Hershey Bears, if he cleared waivers. Well, sure enough, Kuznetsov did clear waivers, and the Caps on Sunday afternoon announced that they had loaned Kuzi to Hershey. 
For about a 24-hour period, it felt like Evgeny Kuznetsov had played his last game for the Caps. Uh, now, who knows? Uh, this season is the next-to-last season of the eight-year $62.4 million contract to which the Caps re-signed Kuznetsov in July 2017. Where this is going, we don't know. I think that the Caps pretty clearly wanted to get rid of Kuznetsov, wanted a team to claim him, but no NHL team did claim him. Boy, was that telling. Uh, Meantime, the Caps' two games over the weekend. Talk about two very different games, although each game had a 5-2 final. Friday night, a 5-2 win over the Philadelphia Flyers at Capital One Arena. A big win for the Caps against a team that they're trailing in the Metropolitan Division. And this was a comeback win. The Caps overcame a 2-0 deficit at the end of the first period. They scored five unanswered goals to end the game. Three goals in the second period and two goals in the third period. But then Sunday afternoon, a 5-2 loss to the Arizona Coyotes at Capital One Arena as the Caps in facing the fourth worst team in the Western Conference in the Coyotes who just had a 14-game losing streak come to an end got ripped at home. Uh, The Caps are such a two-faced Jekyll and Hyde team and this past weekend captured that perfectly. The Caps for this NHL regular season now are 28-23 and nine. Uh, The Caps' penalty kill is a problem right now. The win over the Flyers on Friday night, the Caps went just to two or three on the penalty kill. The loss to the Coyotes on Sunday afternoon, the Caps went just four or six on the penalty kill. The Caps have allowed at least one power play goal in four of their last five games. Uh, Charlie Lindgren was the Caps' starting goaltender for both games over the weekend. He now has been the Caps' starting goaltender in 15 of their last 21 games as he continues to be the Caps' number one goaltender ahead of the guy who is supposed to be the Caps' number one goaltender, Darcy Kemper. Uh, The win over the Flyers on Friday night, Lindgren was good. He stopped 21 of the 23 shots on goal that he faced, including all 12 of the shots on goal that he faced over the second and third periods. The Caps for this game lost the puck possession battle in terms of quantity, but not quality. The Caps per natural stat trick had just 35 5-on-5 shot attempts to the Flyers' 52, but also 10 5-on-5 high-danger shot attempts to the Flyers' seven. Uh, But the loss to the Coyotes on Sunday afternoon, Lindgren stopped just 23 of the 27 shots on goal that he faced. The Caps in this game got demolished in five-on-five play. They, per natural stat trick, had just 29 five-on-five shot attempts to the Coyotes' 51, including just four five-on-five high-danger shot attempts to the Coyotes' 10. Although the Caps did have 26 shots on goal to the Coyotes' 28, the Caps in this game blocked a bunch of shots, 24 blocked shots for the Caps in this game. But again, really bad loss for the Caps on Sunday afternoon. Here were the first two exchanges of Caps head coach Spencer Carberry's post-game press conference on Sunday afternoon. The exchanges with a friend of this podcast, Caps insider Tarek El-Bashir of Monumental Sports Network. Uh, Coach, how how disappointing is that given uh, the opponent, given the circumstances, given how well you guys played last game? I'm, I'm trying to remember, but I, I think given the circumstances, for sure, that's the most disappointing game I've coached this year, this team. Just in the third period, I, I will give our guys credit for that 20 minutes, but the first two periods were, uh, it's, it's the worst we've played all year. 
you said before the game you were worried about an emotional letdown. Do you think maybe that was a little bit of that? Oh, you could chalk it up to that. You could. Ch- it, it. It. We'll have to figure out some answers for that because that that game. Like, we couldn't handle the puck. We turned it over constantly. We fed their transition. We were getting guys in behind us. It looked like, um, yeah, it's hard to explain. Yeah, that loss on Sunday afternoon is the kind of loss that makes you laugh (laughs) at the idea of the Caps making the Stanley Cup playoffs this season is the kind of loss that makes you feel foolish for even considering the possibility of the Caps making the Stanley Cup playoffs this season. Some bright spots for the Caps over the weekend. A good weekend for top-line left-wing Alex Ovechkin for the most part. Uh, the win over the Flyers on Friday night. Ovi scored a goal. Uh, he scored an even-strength goal 434 into the second period for his 17th goal of this regular season. Now, he did not have a good game in terms of process just two shots on goal, just three total shot attempts, and he finished third to last on the Caps in five-on-five shot attempt percentage for the game per natural stat trick, 26.32. The Caps with Ovechkin on the ice in five-on-five situations in the game had just five five-on-five shot attempts versus allowing 14 shot attempts. But the loss to the Coyotes on Sunday afternoon, Ovi had a primary assist, a game-high eight shots on goal, a game-high 14 total shot attempts, and a game-high tying four hits. Uh, The Caps' power play over the weekend was good. The win over the Flyers on Friday night, the Caps went 1-3 on the power play as third-line right wing Anthony Mantha scored a power play goal 6-0-4 into the third period. The loss to the Coyotes on Sunday afternoon, the Caps went 2-7 on the power play. Mantha scored a power play goal 10 seconds into the third period for his 20th goal of this regular season. And second-line right wing Sonny Milano scored a power play goal 6-0-2 into the second period. He did commit a second period holding the stick minor, which was one of six minors committed by the Caps in this game. The Coyotes committed seven minors, but Sonny Milano is back. Uh, He, in that win over the Flyers on Friday night, returned from a two-game absence caused by illness, and he scored a goal in that game. He scored an even-strength goal 9.55 into the second period. Also back for the Caps on Friday night was defenseman Nick Jensen. He returned from a two-game absence caused by a lower body injury. Still out for the Caps due to injury are winger TJ Oshie, center Nick Dowd, and defenseman Martin Fehervari. And I do want to give props to the Caps' best player this season, center Dylan Strome. He, for each game over the weekend, served as the Caps' second-line center. He, in the win over the Flyers on Friday night, scored an even-strength goal 15-38 into the third period for his team-leading 22nd goal of this regular season. And he had two assists. And Strome, in the loss to the Coyotes on Sunday, the afternoon had a primary assist. He is number one on the Caps in points for this regular season, 47, 22 goals and 25 assists. Next up for the Caps is a stretch of just one game in five days. So the Caps are at the Pittsburgh Penguins Thursday night at seven. We move now to college basketball. Believe it or not, we now have four Maryland assistant coaches who have gotten head coaching jobs since Kevin Willard took over as the Terrapins head coach. Uh, Three assistants got 
head coaching jobs after last season, which was Willard's first season as Terps head coach. Uh, among those assistants was Tony Skin, who became George Mason's head coach. And Old Dominion this past Friday morning officially announced the hiring of Mike Jones as head coach to replace the retiring Jeff Jones. Uh, no relation. Uh, Mike Jones played at ODU. He was a Terps assistant coach for just this season. Kevin Willard hired Mike Jones as an assistant coach to replace Tony Skin. Uh, Mike Jones spent the previous two seasons as associate head coach at Virginia Tech, which hired him in May 2021. He's probably best known for being the head coach at DeMatha Catholic High School in Hyattsville, Maryland for 19 seasons, 2002 to 2021. It was Mike Jones who replaced the legendary Morgan Wooten as DeMatha head coach. Well, if only Kevin Willard's second season as Terps head coach was as successful as this coaching tree that he has established. A disastrous loss for the Terps on Sunday afternoon in their home finale for this regular season, their senior day for this season. The Terps for this season fell to 15 and 15 overall and 7 and 12 in the Big Ten with an 83-78 loss to Indiana at Xfinity Center in College Park, Maryland on Sunday afternoon. The Terps on their senior day suffered a horrendous loss. They blew a 16-point second-half lead. The Terps in the second half led by 16 points at 51-35, then allowed Indiana to go on a 42-15 run for an 11-point lead at 77-66 with less than three minutes left in the second half. The Terps' defense, which has been so good this season, was not good on Sunday afternoon. They allowed Indiana to score 83 points and go 7 of 16 on threes and 24 of 39 on twos. And the Terps' offense, which has not been good this season, was actually good on Sunday afternoon. Certainly was good enough to win. The Terps scored 78 points, went 9 to 24 on threes and 21 of 38 on twos. A 6-1 point guard, Jameer Young, he had 34 minutes. It's 19 seconds as a starter. Went just one of six on threes, but also seven of 12 on twos and five of five on free throws. He finished with 22 points, five rebounds, and four assists versus two turnovers. The 6'8 Dante Scott, he in 31 minutes, 44 seconds as a starter, went four of 10 on threes. He finished with 15 points, two assists versus no turnovers and two blocks. He did go just one of five on twos and one of two on free throws and did have just two rebounds and had a team worst plus minus rating of minus eight. Six nine, Julian Reese, 37 minutes, 35 seconds as a starter. Six of 10 from the field, all twos, 101 on free throws. He finished with 13 points, 11 rebounds, including five offensive boards, three assists, and two steals. He did commit four turnovers. Uh, Reese has had a turnover problem lately. He now has 13 turnovers over his last three games. And 6'5", Jahari Long, uh, 28 minutes, 18 seconds as a starter, two of three on threes, two of three on twos, two of two on free throws. He finished with 12 points and one assist versus two turnovers. So the offense was there. The defense was not. And bottom line, the winning has not been there nearly often enough for the Terps this season. This season has become a big-time disappointment. Kevin Willard, during his post-game press conference on Sunday afternoon, on his team's defense, and then you'll hear a follow-up exchange with Gene Wong of the Washington Post. Yeah, really, it was just transition. You know, we, uh, they went on a quick little 5-0 run, and we, we got it back to 11, and then our, it just our transition defense, you know, give them credit. Um, 
they really pushed the pace on us, and it was just it was kind of tough because they weren't really doing anything in the half court, but they were doing they were really attacking us in, in transition, and that kind of we've been good in transition all year. It's because the way we've played offensively, we've had a lot of practice at it. So it was kind of one of those things. It's like we kind of get stuck where it's like. When we play good offensively, we struggle defensively. When we play good defensively, we struggle offensively. We've never been able to put both ends together. What's kind of the feeling, though? It's a, you know celebrating the seniors, the final home game, and you know couldn't send them out the way you wanted to. Yeah, it sucks. Yes, it does. Uh, yes, it does. Next up for Maryland is its regular season finale. The Terps are at Penn State this Sunday evening at 7.30. So we on Sunday afternoon had what we had with the Terps, and we on Saturday night had a brutal loss for Georgetown. The Hoyas had a great chance for a rare win, uh, what would have been an impressive win, uh, but instead they blew it. Uh, Georgetown for this season fell to 9-20 and overall and 2-16 and in the Big East with a 98-93 loss to Xavier at Capital One Arena on Saturday night. Uh, Xavier came into the game 8-9 in the Big East on the season. The Hoyas blew a 15-point first-half lead and blew a 10-point lead with less than eight minutes left in the second half. The Hoyas allowed Xavier to end the game on a 31-16 run as their defense failed them. Uh, The Hoyas' defense was good in the first half, but really bad in the second half. The Hoyas in the first half held Xavier to 37 points and just one of eight on threes and just 10 of 21 on twos. But the Hoyas in the second half allowed Xavier to score 61 points and go three of six on threes and a scorching 16 of 20 on twos. Also, the Hoyas for the game allowed Xavier to generate a whopping 46 free throw attempts, and things could have been worse because Xavier went just 34 of 46 on free throws, uh, and the Hoyas got ripped by 6-6 Desmond Claude, who in 38 minutes, 17 seconds as a starter, went 0 of 1 on threes, 13 of 19 on twos, and 10 of 13 on free throws. He finished with 36 points, 4 rebounds, and 4 assists versus two turnovers. Uh, Georgetown's defense is so bad. The Hoyas for this season, as of games through Saturday, 329th out of 362 teams in Division I men's basketball in KenPalm.com's adjusted defensive efficiency, which is points allowed per 100 possessions adjusted for opponents. Uh, the Hoyas' offense in this game was good. They scored 93 points, went 13-25 on threes and 19-37 on twos, although the Hoyas did go just 16 to 22 on free throws. The biggest bright spot for the Hoyas was the 6'4 Texas transfer, Rowan Brumball. He, in 30 minutes, one second as a starter, went 3 of 5 on threes, 6 of 9 on twos, and 3 of 5 on free throws. He finished with 24 points, 3 rebounds, and 3 assists versus 3 turnovers. A 6'2 Illinois transfer, Jaden Epsi, in 39 minutes, one second as a starter, went just 6 of 16 from the field, just 2 of 7 on threes, and just 4 of 9 on twos. Andy went to 6 of 8 on free throws. Andy committed 5 turnovers. Uh, he also finished with 20 points, 7 assists, and 3 rebounds. And 6-9 Fairfield transfer Supreme Cook. He in 32 minutes, 49 seconds as a starter. Went just 4-9 from the field, all twos. And had a team worst plus-minus rating of minus 11. But he also went 7 of 8 on free throws. Finished with 15 points. 
14 rebounds, including six offensive boards and two assists versus two turnovers. Uh, Georgetown last March hiring Providence head coach Ed Cooley to be the Hoyas head coach was a good hire. I still feel that way. There was a lot to like with that hire. Uh, and it's too early to say that the hire isn't working. But it is disappointing that the Hoyas this season are this bad. Like, you'd like to think that good coaching could have this team at least a little better. Uh, the record is awful. 9-20 and 20 overall, including 2-16 and 16 in the Big East. Uh, next up for Georgetown is its final home game of this regular season. The Hoyas host Providence Tuesday night at 7. Also with a loss on Saturday evening was Virginia. Uh, the Cavaliers for this season fell to 21-9 and overall and 12-7 and in the ACC with a 73-48 loss at number 10 Duke on Saturday evening as the Cavs' penchant for getting walloped in games away from home this season continued. Uh, this was the Cavs' seventh loss away from home this season. Each of the seven losses has been by at least 16 points. This is not the kind of thing <laughs> that is looked at favorably by the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee. Uh, the Cavs' three-point defense was good, but they got ravaged in the paint. They held Duke to just 6-19 and on threes, but allowed Duke to go 24-42 on twos and getting outscored in the paint 44-18. Uh, the Cavs got worked by seven-foot center Kyle Filipowski. He, in 28 minutes, 51 seconds as a starter, went one of one on threes, eight of 13 on twos, and two of two on free throws. He finished with 21 points, seven rebounds, including three offensive boards, three steals, two assists versus two turnovers, and a game-best time plus-minus rating of plus 24. The Wahoos' offense was really bad. They scored just 48 points, including just 18 points in the first half. The Hoos went just 5 of 17 on threes, just 12 of 38 on twos, and just 9 of 13 on free throws. And UVA got out-rebounded by Duke 42-29. Uh, 6-3 Reese Beekman, he scored 18 of UVA's 48 points in 34 minutes, 44 seconds as a starter. Went 1-3 of three on three, 6-12 on twos, and 3-3 three three on free throws. But the rest of UVA's players went a combined 4-14 of 14 on threes, 6-26 of 26 on twos, and 6-10 on free throws. Beekman finished with 18 points, seven assists versus four turnovers, six rebounds, including three offensive boards and three steals. Here was UVA head coach Tony Bennett during his postgame press conference on Saturday night. This has happened to us a few times this year. Um, if our defense isn't sound and right, um, and we're playing a team with the firepower of certainly Duke, um, it, it, it can... Um, it can get separated quick. And we've had a few games where we've gotten beat handily. Uh, and that's a humbling place to be. And so you know that going in and you work at it and you try to prepare as well as you can. But, you know, we really got, um, they got the ball in the lane, down the floor, on the glass, every which way. And if our defense isn't holding in there, and they, they guarded us well. Uh, John's done a really good job with this team. Uh, they have great offensive firepower. You can see their experience and they guard hard. And, um, you know, we looked like Reese is our only guy who's played in this building and no one else has played in here. And it looked like, um, kind of looked like it was a bit much at times for us. Um, so that's what it was, but that's a few times. You can come up here and do this if you want, if you have something to say. <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> all right, next question, please. Sorry. 
Yeah, what was up with that guy's walkie-talkie? Jeez, uh, turn that thing down. Uh, raise your hand if you know what to make of UVA. The record for this season is good, 21-9 and overall, including 12-7 and in the ACC, but so many blowout losses in games away from home. Uh, UVA for this season through games on Saturday was just number 70 in Division I men's basketball and KenPalm.com's adjusted efficiency margin, which is KenPalm.com's overall ranking. Next up for Virginia, it's final game of this regular season, home to Georgia Tech Saturday night at 8. Virginia Tech for this season, as of games through Saturday, was number 52 in Division I men's basketball and KenPalm.com's adjusted efficiency margin, a lot higher than UVA. The Hokies for this season improved to 16-13 and 13 overall and 8-10 and 10 in the ACC with an 87-76 win over Wake Forest at Castle Coliseum in Blacksburg, Virginia on Saturday evening. This was just Tech's Third win in nine games, but this was a good win. Wake came into the game at 10-7 and in the ACC this season. And this was a come-from-behind win. The Hokies overcame a 15-point first-half deficit. They, in the first half, trailed 40-25. They then went on a 55-24 run for a 16-point lead at 80-64 deep into the second half. A tale of two halves for Tech's defense. Tech in the first half allowed Wake to score 46 points and go 9-14 on threes, but Tech in the second half held Wake to just 30 points and just 2-11 of on threes. And the Hokies' offense was good. 87 points, 9-21 on threes, 25-36 on twos, 20 assists versus 10 turnovers. Uh, three standouts for Tech. Hunter Couture, Lynn Kidd, and Sean Padula. 6-3 Hunter Couture. He in 37 minutes as a starter went 5-10 on threes, 4-5 on twos, and 3-4 on free throws. He finished with 26 points, 3 rebounds, and 2 assists versus no turnovers. 6-10 center Lynn Kidd. He in just 26 minutes as a starter had 21 points, 9 rebounds, and 3 assists versus 1 turnover. He went 9-11 from the field, all twos, and went 3-4 on free throws. And 6-1 point guard Sean Padula, he in 36 minutes as a starter, went 3-5 on threes and 3-7 on twos. He finished with 15 points, 6 assists versus 1 turnover, 4 rebounds, and 3 steals. A big win for the Hokies. Uh, this was their head coach, Mike Young, during his postgame press conference on Saturday evening. And you'll hear him reference Wake Forest head coach, Steve Forbes. Now was tight as a banjo string. Um, not sure I've ever seen a box score like that. We led by as many as 16 the second. They led by as many as 15 in the first. A little scary. Uh, that's not bad, bad territory. Six different players from Wake Forest made threes. Um, we couldn't slow them down. We were behind everything. They're making shots left and right. Um, They've got a good basketball team. That's an NCAA tournament team. Uh, they that team with those numbers, those uh, analytics, and the net and the and Ken Palm have never been been um, kept out of the tournament. Um, I don't know what they've got left. I know they've got Clemson. I'm not sure where that game is next Saturday. They've got a heck of a team, and they are playing very good basketball. Uh, I thought cutting it to nine going into the half was significant. We kind of needed it, and, man, we took off. 
we took off to uh, start the uh, second half, and uh, Coach Forbes had to call timeout. Um, that old rascal's uh, whipped my tail here the last two or three times. We've had some great fun, great competition. I admire him greatly, as you know. Uh, need to get his old butt, and we, uh, we were able to do that today. I tell you, if you are a Tech fan, the Mike Young postgame press conferences are pretty entertaining. Uh, next up for Virginia Tech is its final road game of this regular season. The Hokies are at Louisville Tuesday night at 7. Our tanking and rebuilding Wizards have 22 games left in the 2023-2024 NBA regular season. The Wizards in this month of March have a lot of games, 16 games in 31 days. And so if you are a Wizards fan like me, you probably are wondering exactly how long <laughs> is this losing streak going to go? Uh, just one game for the Wizards over the weekend. They, for this regular season, fell to 9 and. 51 with a 140-115 loss at the Los Angeles Clippers late night on Friday night as the Wizards lost their 14th consecutive game. We as Bullet Slash Wizards fans have seen a lot of losing over the years, but the losing that we are seeing this season is a special kind of losing. Now, as I have said, I as a Wizards fan am not that caught up in the losing uh, the Wizards are a tanking team. The Wizards are a rebuilding team. Wins and losses don't matter right now. Uh, I personally am not at all invested in the outcomes of these games. I care much more about certain individual players' performances in these games. But the losing is undeniable. I mean, you think about this Wizards regular season, a mere nine wins in 60 games, 51 <laughs> of the 60 games have been losses. Uh, the Wizards in this loss at the Clippers late night on Friday night trailed for all of the second, third, and fourth quarters, including trailing by at least 14 points for all of the second half. Uh, the Wizards' defense was horrible. They allowed the Clippers to score 140 points, including 46 points in just the second quarter. The Wizards allowed the Clippers to go 13 of 32 on threes and 41 of 62 on twos and finish with 32 assists versus just nine turnovers. The Wizards got victimized by the beard. Uh, they allowed James Harden in just 25 minutes, one second as a starter to have 28 points, eight assists versus three turnovers, four rebounds, three blocks, and a game best plus minus rating of plus 19. Harden went six and nine on threes, three of four on twos, and four of four on free throws. And he and that Clippers 46 points second quarter went nuclear, 21 points, including five of seven on threes. Wizards interim head coach Brian Keefe has made defense a major point of emphasis. Uh, the Wizards under Keefe at times have been decent defensively, but their overall body of defensive work still is, uh, shall we say, not good. Uh, this was Keefe during his postgame press conference late night on Friday night on the Wizards' oh-so-bad defensive performance, which did come in the second game of a back-to-back -back for the Wizards. They lost at the Los Angeles Lakers 134-131 in overtime late night this past Thursday night. And then you'll hear a follow-up exchange with Wizards insider Ava Wallace of the Washington Post. 
I'll never make an excuse for anything being we played last night. That's not how what we're going to talk about. We just didn't have the necessary uh, physical force to make these you know tough guys make some tough shots. Um, I thought we pushed it for as much as we could, but we just we didn't have enough defense in the game. Brian, do you feel like your guys are adapting, even though obviously not the outcome you wanted tonight, not the defense you wanted to play, adapting the habits you're trying to teach them better? Yes, I do. I think we are seeing growth. Um, I think we are doing things better. I, I think you can see that. Um, we just need to do it for longer and for you know, be more consistent with it. But you can see it for stretches. Um, tonight was just not as much as we wanted. No, it was not. Uh, the Wizards' offense in this loss at the Clippers late night on Friday night was good, uh, although a lot of the offense was just one guy, Kyle Kuzma. But the Wizards, as a team, scored 115 points, went 12 of 34 on threes and 34 of 64 on twos, and finished with 29 assists versus 10 turnovers, but Kyle Kuzma did a lot of this. Uh, just 29 minutes, 9 seconds as a starter. He scored 32 points. No other Wizards player scored more than 16 points. Kuzma went 5 of 7 on threes. The rest of the Wizards went just 7 of 27 on threes. Kuzma also went 8 of 12 on twos and 1 of 1 on free throws, and he had 7 rebounds. So the Wizards did remain without Bilal Koulibaly. He did not play for a third consecutive game due to a right pelvis contusion that he suffered in the Wizards' 114-105 loss to the Cleveland Cavaliers at Capital One Arena on February 25th. Next up for the Wizards is a game on Monday night at the Utah Jazz, Monday night at 9. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can hit me up on X at Al Galdi. You can email me the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tuesday show, episode 776. We'll have plenty for you on the Commanders. Also on Tuesday show, I'll talk Wizards who are at the Utah Jazz Monday night at 9. Have a great rest of your Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. When you're talking about drafting a quarterback, these are big-time organizational decisions. So give me your best sales pitch why you should be somebody's franchise QB. Yeah, I think I can do it all. I think one of those things where, you know, I really can make a play with my feet, make a play throw in the pocket, um, and you really just, you don't want a game plan, you know, for me, you want a game plan with me. So that's the biggest thing. Good luck, Jerry. Thanks. Appreciate y'all. Thank y'all.